0: Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum, with me, Dr Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. To start with an Oscar Wilde quote, It is what you read when you don't have to, that determines what you'll be when you can't help it. Today, we explore how we can engage children in a love of reading, away from the curriculum, phonics and comprehension practice. We talk to Sarah McGowan, a lecturer from the University of Edinburgh, about the role that emotions play in reading, the principles we need to address to engage children and young people in reading, and how our reading habits change with our age. Sarah, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk about your research which is into motivation to read and I wanted just to start by asking you what got you interested in this area. I suppose I've been carrying out research in this area for
1: about 15 years now but a lot of my early research focused on early reading instruction so looking at the short and long-term effectiveness of different instructional approaches but after spending quite a lot of time in schools and particularly working with older children I became interested in the role of motivation and whether it influences children's reading development. And at that time, there was very little research in this area, particularly in the UK. And then more recently, through some of the qualitative research that we've conducted, I've become interested in children and young people's experiences with books. So what books offer children and young people that aren't just about developing their literacy or language skills, important as these are, um, but also the other sort of rich and diverse experiences that books have to offer.
0: And listeners to the podcast can't see this, but you have an amazing bookshelf behind you. So is reading a big part of your life? To be honest, I think as a child, a young person, I did read,
1: but I wouldn't have described myself as an avid reader. Um, and I think as I've got older and through work, I tended to spend a lot of time reading research papers, and I like a lot of non-fiction as well, so Mm. popular science type books. And then actually through the project I'm going to be talking about today, which was called Growing Up a Reader, we trained children and young people to join our research team. And as part of doing that, they came along and they spoke about the books that they were reading. Um, And after hearing them talk about the sort of wonderful experiences that they had reading fiction books, I've actually, in the last year or so, sort of returned to fiction again. Um, And it's simply as a result of this project and and listening to children and young people talking about the sorts of experiences that they have when they read fiction. So so now I definitely describe myself as an avid reader. Um, I read every day um, and I definitely read a lot more fiction than I have done in previous
0: years. It's so lovely to hear that the young people inspired you to get back into that kind of reading. And so this podcast focuses on social and emotional themes. And so what do we know about emotions and reading?
1: So there's a wonderful paper actually by someone called Raymond Marr and his colleagues. They wrote this back in 2011. Um, But it's really an overview looking at the relationship between emotion and narrative fiction. And they provide a really interesting overview of the relationship between the two. So one of the things that they point out, first of all, is that often our mood, or emotional state can influence whether we choose to read or not, but also what we choose to read. So you know yourself, sometimes you're in the mood to read a particular type of book. Mm-hmm. Um, and in interviews that we did with children and young people, they spoke about these types of things. So they said, you know, after a long, hard day at school, sometimes I just want to sit and read to relax um, or if i'm feeling stressed about things i read for escapism and um, so often our moods and our emotions actually influence whether or not we choose to read it and what we choose to read as well and then when we start reading the narrative itself can actually evoke emotion so this can happen directly through the events and characters that are depicted in books so it may be that they make us feel happy or sad or if we're reading a horror book they might make us feel scared and in the work that we've done with um, children and young people again they speak about a broad range of emotions that they feel through reading directly as a result of the the book or the characters and but reading books can also elicit emotions through cueing personal memories so sometimes you read about a character or event and it feels personally relevant and we start to bring to mind um, memories ourselves which again can elicit um, emotions And then finally, once you finish reading a book, you may still feel emotions um, afterwards. So I know as a teenager, I used to read a lot of point horror. And I remember still feeling scared even after I'd finished reading the book. But similarly, books that have made us feel happy or sad or acute happy or sad memories, these can still sort of resonate with us and we can still feel um, after reading. So the relationship between emotions and reading is actually quite complex and of course not everybody gets to feel these emotions so some children maybe describe themselves as non-readers or disengaged readers and so they don't have that sort of quality or depth of experience when they're reading and for them reading may be described as quite stressful it might be quite boring quite anxiety provoking as well so it's important to appreciate that children are experiencing lots of different things when they read and of course two readers reading the same book may not experience exactly the same emotions. They may be eliciting different memories, etc, etc.
0: It's really interesting to hear all those different stages at which emotion plays a role in reading, even the anticipation of picking up a book. And I wanted to just pick up on what you said about children that struggle to read, and thinking about how that's probably quite cyclical if you have the stress of Anticipating reading and then can't fluently access the text, can't access all those emotions that maybe more fluent readers are accessing, which might motivate them to get back to the reading. So it's quite hard to break that cycle.
1: And I I think, as well, when you're a more experienced reader, you're better able to find books that are really going to resonate with you. You know the genres and the authors that you like. Uh, Whereas I think if you're an inexperienced reader and you don't have that skill at being able to find a text that's at the right level and that's really interesting to you, it's really difficult to to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. And it's also really nice to be reminded of the breadth of emotions that reading can really incite in us.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the work that we did was in um, just one primary school classroom. And afterwards, what I said to the teacher was even within just this one classroom. Children are reading very different text types, reporting very different experiences with them as well. So it is really about knowing the reader, knowing the child and what's going to um, resonate with them.
0: And so what has your research taught us about how we can engage these non-readers in reading? I think recently I've come to think that the best way
1: to share research in this area with teachers and with others involved in encouraging book reading, whether it's parents or librarian is to consider different principles that can be applied. And these principles can be applied across different types of contexts as well. And I guess the the sort of six principles that I tend to work most closely with are those of access, choice, success, relevance, social and time. First of all, thinking about access, The first obvious step is to make sure that children have access to books in their school that really align with their reading habits and their reading interests as well. So involving children and young people in book selections for the classroom or school library can be really helpful to ensure this. I think it's also important that they have regular access to the school or public library as well so that they can continue to borrow books as regularly um, as they want. And the other principle is choice. So as adults, we select the books that we want to read. We don't like people telling us what we should and shouldn't read. And so students really need to be allowed to choose their own books. But as I said, I think it's important to recognise that students really vary in their ability to make good reading choices. And by this, I mean choices which align with their interests and their abilities as well. So if you are a more frequent or more experienced reader, you'll just find it easier to find books that really resonate with you. But if you're a struggling reader or have less experience with reading, then you may need some support in order to make good reading choices. And I think one really important skill for teachers to develop is basically children and young people's ability to independently identify and select books that will really resonate with them so that they can become autonomous readers and that they can find the books for themselves. Another principle is success. So it's just about having positive and successful reading experiences. So children and young people are more likely to choose to read and they'll read more when they're having successful uh, reading experiences. In other words, they're enjoying what they're reading, but they're also experiencing a good level of fluency and comprehension too. so for this reason, it's really important to focus on the skills that children need to become independent readers in order to foster reading for pleasure another one is relevant so i think students are more engaged when they're reading when the books that they read are relevant to their reading goals so as i said children and young people will choose to read for different reasons so they may choose to read to relax to experience escapism to learn more about their interests and what you need to ensure is to make sure that the the books that they have really are relevant or they align with their reading goals so they're getting the type of experience out of the book that they're looking for and children are going to be more engaged with what they read if it really aligns with their reading goal. And another aspect of relevance is really making sure that children um, have access to and opportunities to read books that are personally relevant to them as well. And by this, I mean sort of culturally or socially relevant books, or books that are in related to their interests um, and hobbies. Another principle is time, which is just making sure that they have regular time to read for enjoyment. There are initiatives going in, on in schools, such as Drop Everything and Read where children get regular dedicated each time and each day to read daily. And it's just about making book reading a regular habit, so something which is just simply part of their day. And, of course, the ultimate goal will be making sure that children continue this habit when they return home as well, so taking the books home and maybe encouraging reading for about 20 minutes when they return. And then the final principle is this idea of social activities around books. So providing opportunities for students to share, recommend, discuss books with each other um, and also their teacher as well. And Teresa Kremen and her colleagues um, have actually done some really wonderful research in this area, which is basically focusing on creating communities of readers and creating a reading culture um, in schools as well. And so whenever I'm trying to sort of share the ways to encourage reading, I think getting teachers to focus on these principles and also reflecting and evaluating their own practices in schools can be really useful. Mm
0: -hmm. It's really useful to have those principles to think about almost needing to hit all of them to engage these children that find reading difficult and one of them that particularly stood out to me was the idea of reading goals, tuning into why the child might want to read rather than because it's on our syllabus or because you need to learn to read.
1: I think um, from the project that we carried out recently, it really did make me think about reading as an experience and children seeking out different types of experiences. And often in the library, things are arranged according to genre. But actually, if children start to think more in terms of not different genres, but actually different types of experiences Mm -hmm. that they can offer, and then what are they looking for and, and how can they find it?
0: So one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading your research was how you engage the children and young people to be researchers in your project. Could you talk more about this?
1: Yes, of course. So one theme that runs throughout all of the research that I carry out is working directly with children and young people or teachers or parents or literacy organisations in my work. And it's this collaborative approach to research um, that I really enjoy. So I'll give a couple of examples. So the Growing Up a Reader project that I referred to before. In this project, we trained primary and secondary school students to join our research team. So they came to the university, they had a day of research training, and then we interviewed them on their reading habits and why they read different text types. But then they also interviewed um, their peers. And we're writing up a paper at the moment based on this method, this kind of student researcher uh, method. Um, But we've also published papers based on the findings from this uh, study. And since then, I've gone back into the primary school and spoken to the students about the contribution that they've made to this project and the outcomes as well in terms of conference presentations and things. And they've been absolutely thrilled at the opportunity to contribute to the research um, in this way.
0: And just because I think this is a really nice example for schools about how they can engage children and young people as part of the change within their school or finding out more about reading and what needs to happen in their school. Could you tell us a little bit more about some projects you have upcoming and how you've engaged students in being a part of the research there?
1: Yeah, so one, we're going to be starting in uh, September of this year. So this is funded by the Nuffield Foundation, and it's a project aimed at motivating and engaging child readers And what we'll be doing in the project, first of all, is interviewing children together from their perspective, what they like about reading, how we can encourage more reading within the primary school. And then we'll be combining their insights with all of the theory and research that exists already. And then we'll be sharing this with primary school teachers and we'll be co-designing the intervention with them. And so we're able to draw upon their professional and pedagogical um, experience and and expertise. I know that there's a lot of teachers who are carrying out really sort of fantastic classroom practices in this area. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with teachers to design an intervention that draws upon what children have said, what theory and research says, but also teachers' um, expertise. And then the other project is actually with secondary school students. It's using a slightly different approach. So this project's being led by my PhD student, Charlotte Weber, and it's called Tackling the Drop-Off, Understanding the Teenage Reading Experience, because we know when children become teenagers, they're far less likely to want to read books. So the project's in collaboration with the Scottish Book Trust, and Charlotte's actually recruiting um, a youth advisory panel so two groups of young people who are going to um, provide input into the design of the study, so how they think we should be carrying out this research. Um, and they'll be with us in terms of helping with the design, but also the types of questions and that we should be asking too. So we're really excited about the opportunity to work with young people to shape the research right from the beginning.
0: You spoke there about secondary school students and the drop-off in reading engagement there. So I was wondering if you found differences in what engaged students Children between primary and secondary school.
1: I'd say that generally the reasons why children and young people read books are actually quite similar. I think the reasons that they choose to read are actually quite similar. It's simply the fact that teenagers are just reading far less. So each year, the National Literacy Trust carry out an annual survey of children and young people's reading habits, and. The data that I'll draw upon here is actually, it was published in 2020, It's based on um, reading habits in 2019, and it's based on a sample of about 57,000 children and young people apro- across the UK, so it's a really large sample of students. And they found that for the age group 9 to 11, so this is primary school students, they found that 72% of them said that they enjoyed reading, whereas only 40% of 14 to 16 year olds said that they enjoyed reading. And then looking at the number that said that they read daily outside of class, about 41% of 9 to 11 year olds said that they did, whereas only 16% of 14 to 16 year olds said that they did. So there's really a drop off in terms of the reported level of enjoyment, and frequency with which teenagers read books. And like I said, I think the reasons that they read books are very similar, but for teenagers, there's a lot of reasons why they say they don't read books as well, which are very characteristic um, of the adolescent um, period. So in one of the studies that we published last year, we asked older students, so students aged 15 to 16, why they didn't read books um, anymore. Um, And they said different things such as, there's just not enough time to read anymore, so school and homework and revision, are sort of priorities for them, um, as opposed to reading books for pleasure. Others mentioned distractions, specifically technology or their phone, but also seeing friends as taking up their time as well. And then another point that they made was actually when they were in primary school, people would encourage them to choose to read for pleasure. So their parents or their teachers would be encouraging them to choose to read for pleasure. But actually in secondary school, no one really did that anymore. And so so they weren't um, inclined to do it. So, I think there's a lot of reasons, and part of Charlotte's project is really about understanding the barriers that teenagers believe exist to reading books.
0: It's really interesting you mentioning you know screen time for adolescents. I think everyone that's had experience of adolescence will know that is a a very a big presence in their lives. and I'm wondering, I know you focus on book reading, but in some of your studies, you also look at different kinds of texts and how we can think about the different kinds of texts that young people and children read.
1: I suppose my research is interested in understanding how to encourage more book reading because we know of all the text types that book reading, specifically fiction book reading, is associated with a much wider range of positive academic reading and language outcomes. So children who read fiction books generally have better knowledge, language reading, spelling skills, better school achievement as well. And in studies which have compared fiction book reading against other text types, it's shown these sort of benefits in a fiction book. So that's why I suppose a lot of my work is focused on encouraging more book reading. But that said, I think it's really interesting to think about the everyday reading practices of children and young people and the breadth of reading activities that they're involved in um, on a daily basis. So um, we had a couple of papers which are related to this. One was looking at children and young people's conceptualisations of a reader. So what it means to be a reader is a reader simply someone who reads books or is a reader someone who reads other text types as well. And what we found was that for children, being a reader is much more synonymous with someone who reads books Whereas for a teenager, you don't just necessarily have to read books. You can read other text types as well. And you don't necessarily need to read as regularly to describe yourself um, as a reader. And of course, they're reading different text types, things such as magazines, newspapers, comics as well. Um, And in the paper I think you're referring to, we were interested in why they said they read these other um, text types. Because often it's, as you've heard, it's the sort of motivations of the reasons for doing things that drive us to choose to read different types of texts. So they often said that, you know, they'd read magazines in order to pursue their interests, or if they were bored, they'd just pick up a magazine and, and flick through it. Some of them spoke about when they were younger they choose magazines based on the toys on the front cover. I mean I have two young children as well and this is they love getting magazines, but it's mostly the toys that they're drawn to. That kind of got me thinking, I suppose, about how we evolve as readers over time as well and how we're looking for different things out of books too. But they also spoke about reading newspapers to stay informed or comics just because they're funny and they're kind of more visually attractive. And then of course with digital text too, it's It's important to recognize that although I've said there's lots of benefits of reading books, there's also lots of benefits of reading other text types um, as well. So if you take, for example, um, teenagers who are maybe reading something online, maybe they're asked to find a piece of information online. What they're doing is, I guess, they're engaging in more purposeful, goal-directed activity. So they need to p- find a piece of information. They need to look through multiple different web pages at the same time, bring this information together, maybe critically evaluate what they're reading as well. So the types of skills that have been developed through this kind of online searching are actually very different but also valuable skills as well that you don't get from reading books. So I think it's unfair sometimes to compare all of these different text types to the same metric which is just reading and language skills. Different texts are developing different types of skills given that we know that a lot of people don't read books and still very much focused on trying to encourage more book reading.
0: Again. It's going back to that goal for reading, so teenagers might have a different purpose for why they need to go and read. And I was also wondering about a different kind of form of reading, which is audiobooks, and whether you think this is a way that we can engage children that find reading difficult.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, with an audiobook, you're not developing children's word reading skills. So they're sort of independent reading skills. But actually, what audiobooks can do is they can introduce children to books that they would not be able to necessarily access themselves. And they give them that fluency that they may not necessarily be able to get for themselves. And the wonderful thing about books, I suppose, is that they introduce us to a very rich and diverse vocabulary. And if you're listening to an audiobook, you're getting access to all of that vocabulary without having to read it uh, for yourselves. So, no, I am, I think, um, uh, a big fan of audiobooks, but at the same time making sure that children are able to read for themselves too.
0: And so you spoke earlier about some of those principles of reading Engagement that I'm sure are really helpful for teachers to think about how to embed these in their school. But I was wondering for you, what are the three things you would want teachers to take from listening to this podcast?
1: So I think the first thing would probably be just thinking about the benefits of books. So not just the sort of language and literacy benefits, but also the potentially the emotional benefits and the potential for well-being and benefits too. And um, I know as a result of kind of COVID. Teachers are really concerned about children's learning and well-being. And I do think that books have the potential to support with both, but only if we connect children and young people with the books that are right for them and that are really going to resonate with them. So I think that's one of the things. It's just about realising that books don't just have these learning benefits, but maybe have potential for for well-being benefits too. I suppose the other thing are these sort of principles that I spoke about, so access, choice, success, relevance, time and social and thinking about how these can be embedded within the school and this idea of just reflecting on and evaluating and the practices and seeing if um, they're optimal. And then I think the final thing is, um, I'm not sure how often teachers ask students their opinions on things, so it's maybe quite common. As a researcher, I've really found that speaking to children and young people and getting their opinions and insights on things can be really useful. And so I think teachers having discussions with children about what they're doing in the school to promote reading for pleasure what children think they should be doing and what they think is important would be a really good idea to sort of work collaboratively for teachers and children to work together in order to sort of improve I guess the reading culture within schools.
0: Yeah I agree just the power of hearing the voice of the person who is doing the reading. Sarah thank you so much for talking to us today it's been fascinating. Oh no thank you for having me it's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about this subject, you can listen to our earlier episode with Teresa Kremen, and you'll find more information about the things Sarah spoke about in the podcast description. If you like the episode, then please do subscribe, and you can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum. You can get in touch on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.